Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Topwater Tuna out of Oregon Inlet. I'm going to be talking with Captain John Berquist of Drumbeat Charters out of the Oregon Inlet area. We're going to be covering such areas as gear, safety as in go or no go, find the fish, then cast hook and land fish. If time, we're going to also do a thing, a backup plan if we just can't find the tuna. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post, and Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest effort, the Saltwater Podcast Series, we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their thoughts, their insight, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. In this endeavor, I'm joined every week by podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, we're going to be talking tuna. Gary, I'm excited, man. I, I'm excited to to talk about tuna. I'd be more excited if we were on the back of someone else's boat getting ready to hook up on a tuna, as you and I right. actually have in the past. I mean, I think I've only caught one yellowfin tuna, and that was uh, on a on a fisherman's post trip, man. So yeah, I'm excited to learn the ins and outs of how we accomplished that because I have no idea. <laughs> well, I would say that John is not only going to talk to us about catching tuna, but like perhaps the coolest ways to do it. And I'm excited. I like thinking out of the box, so I, I want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, man. Well, hopefully he has a John Boat strategy for all our John Boat listeners out there. Maybe a little kayak strategy. No, I'm just messing. Well, I will. I'll move. I'll move this show right along so we can get to the tuna. Uh, but do want to shout out our sponsors making this show possible. Uh, we got SRD Twenty. So SRDTwenty.com. You can go check these guys out. Uh, Stuart and his team are doing a fantastic job keeping you the product to keep your boat clean. So they got several different cleaning products, and we're featuring the. Uh, waterless wash and wax, and then also the uh, graphene uh, spray uh, protectant here as well. So uh, if you guys haven't checked those guys out, head over to srd20.com and check them out, Gary. And I know Gary's excited to use that on his boat. Well, I tell you, I am. spring, of course. For the reason that I have never have ever been successful at motivating myself to wax my boat, but I wish I had a waxed boat. And so I have been looking closer and talking with the owner guy, designer guy of that graphene spray. And I, I, I'm taking him at his word. I'm looking forward to using it as quicker application, easier application, and lasts longer. And that's three easy critiques of wax in the boat. It's hard. It takes a while, and it doesn't last long enough. So graphene spray from these guys, I'm hoping, is my solution to not feeling guilty about not waxing my boat. I'm going to graphene spray it. Or just have one of your sons do it, Gary. Jeez, you don't even need to do it. You got teenage boys now. They can just go out there and oh, do it. Oh, kids today. Don't get me started on kids you, today. You guys want to make $20? They'd be like, no, nah, make it 100 bro. They're like, Burger King's paying 20 bucks an hour. What are you offering, Dad? <laughs> yeah, for me to go out here and wax your boat for six hours. <laughs> College boy. Now get out there. <laughs> All right, and also I want to shout out Marine Warehouse Center, uh, making this possible for a long time, man. Long time running sponsor. Get a word from them. We'll be right back. At Marine Warehouse, we have everything for trailer, trailer parts, engines, engine parts, new boats, boat parts, a full store. We have a service department. 
We are your one-stop shop for marine equipment and hardware. We offer a wide variety of parts and accessories for all your marine needs. The best part about working at Marine Warehouse Center is to help customers really get the most out of their coastal lifestyle and share our love for the water. At Marine Warehouse, we're here to get you out on the water because of our love for the water. We like being out there and we want you out there with us. Boom, there you go, man. Run a, run uh -huh. a tight crew over there, knocking it out. Man, it's that time of year. I, I, again, I just imagine other people, or at least somewhat like me, like you've probably made a list over the summer of stuff that you want to fix or you want to improve on. And this is a great time of year to do that, man. And I mean, that's what I do. I keep my running laundry list of boat items and, you know, somewhere here in the fall, take it over to Marine Warehouse Center and give them the list and they'll take care of you. Yeah, man, they, they do a great job. And, and I just want to remind people too, Gary, I try to do this uh, as often as possible that it's not just for the North Carolina, Wilmington, North Carolina, and, uh, you know, South Carolina area. But if you go on their website or you call them and you want something shipped to you, they do ship worldwide as well. So maybe there's something they got and you want it, they can ship it to you. And, um, and, and Emmett, he's been on the move again, Gary, by the way. He's huh? he's taking up a new – you know, he's a, I, I see this trend of him really liking sports. So he's taking up this new okay. sport. It looks like he's learning something new uh, this fall, uh, so we'll we'll see if you can guess what that is. Um, I will say it is. Um, I was trying to think of how to how to say it. It's okay. It's multiple different strategies. <laughs> it's multiple different strategies that are in the same arena, and one person wins. What is he studying right now? Track and field. I mean that's a yeah that's that's a pretty good guess but I I don't have another hint for you except for dudes wear tight shorts and beat each other up. What do you think he's doing? <laughs> Wrestling? Close, Gary. Close. Emmett has been involved in some MMA training, so here oh. he is. Yeah, uh, you know he's not doing so well in this picture. It looks like he's about to uh, get his arm ripped off, but. Yeah, man, he still got a smile on his face. So there he is. He still has a smile. He's still wearing the hat. It's he's still in it, <laughs> even in that compromised position. Yeah, man, I didn't know he had a sleeve tattoo either. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the stuff you learn here on the podcast. Make sure if you see Emmett out in the wild, snap a picture, send it to us, along with your fish photos. See, he's like that Gary. A little segue, mm -hmm. which I got one for you right now. Uh, this is Gage Felton. Reeves Felton and Jim Thompson hooked this yellowfin tuna on a pink and white sea witch while trolling 40 miles offshore off of Bogue Inlet. Good looking fish there. Uh, I wonder if it looks like maybe one guy reeled it in or they take turns. They each touch it. All three of them were in the thing, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Didn't have this like group effort or like what it is, but I guess on those I'm going to guess one dude caught it and then they all got in the photo. I'm going to guess that. Yeah, because I guess I guess when you're doing the offshore things, like everybody gets credit for it. That's a question, Gary. Write that down. That's a good one. Like, who All gets right. credit for the fish? The captain, the mate, <laughs> the person reeling it. The I boat. mean, the... <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe anyway. I'll put that. I mean, we'll put it to John. That's not necessarily his forte. Captain and mate and trolling, and someone grabs the rod. I mean, again, he's going to talk to us about some cool stuff when it comes yeah. to tuna fishing. But maybe he's got a thought on it. We'll see. We'll work. I'll try to work that into the conversation. And this is why you, Gary, asked the questions and not me. So uh, that's but, a fair question. Like it's a rhetorical question more than a how-to question. But I like rhetorical questions. I'm on board. 
Yeah, all right, cool. So anyway, there you go. So there, there's your fish photo. And then, uh, man, if you want to shout out weekly fishing reports, because John is a, a part of those as well. So I'll, I'll throw it over to you and let you shout that out real quick. Sure, I'll do a quick plug for Fisherman's Post weekly fishing reports. We started them back in early spring. I've been doing them all summer. And so if you've thought to yourself, man, I love Fisherman's Post monthly newspaper and the website, but I wish there were, I could get some more current information. Well, our weekly fishing reports delivered online behind a paid wall subscription basis are the answer. We talked to captains, 11 captains actually, from all up and down the North Carolina coast. So we have every geographical area represented inshore, nearshore, weekly, delivered in audio and video format. Just go to fishermanspost.com and look for member content. Boom, there you go. It's good, man. It's good information. You'll get a little taste of it tonight, but John's bringing the heat every week along with some other guys. So looking forward to it, man. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, I'm going to bring – oh, I'm going to remind you about Billy's Best Takeaway. I don't want to miss my marks. Billy's Best Takeaway. But right now, it is my pleasure to welcome back to the podcast Captain John Berquist, drumbeat charters out of the Oregon Inlet area, John, thank you so much for taking time out to talk to us about topwater tuna out of Oregon Inlet. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? Thanks for having me back. Yeah, man. It's always ton of fun to talk fishing, talk fishing with you, because I think you do get as creative as most people I know when it comes to fishing. But as creative as you are, and even with our even with our relationship, weekly relationship you still do not get to circumvent the two questions before we proceed you tell me you're ready i give you question number one let's go okay john berkwist berkwist of drumbeat charters why am i listening to you talk about a tuna well we're one of the only boats at the fishing center right now who are actively targeting tuna on top water we don't take any trolling gear or we take very little trolling gear and uh, we've we've been very successful at it for the last three years, uh, run and gun style, looking for busting tuna and, and throwing lures. And we're continuing to get better at it every time we go. All right, roll right on. And that works. Well, we're easily moving on to question number two. I, I was confident you would get through question number one. Question number two, I know that top water means more than poppers, popping for tuna. But my question, my question number two has to do for popping. So we can talk about what it means to pop for tuna, but these are other ways to use the word popping. I need you to tell me what popping means in these in this sense. Number one, if I were to say that girl is popping, what do I mean? That she's hot. Good guess. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful, sexy, hot, stylish. How about if I were to say, come on, man, let's get tonight popping uh like kicked off like get the party started two for two number three after he finished popping he couldn't even feel his face i i don't know that one taking pills man he's taking pills oh yeah popping pills but enough of popping let's go to topwater tuna i think you wanted to start with required gear you've already said very little trolling gear so let's talk about topwater gear when we were going out of Oregon Inlet to target tuna. So we'll start with the boat. Um, we run a pair customs 24 deep V with a full tower. Um, that's a small boat to go 50 miles offshore in. 
Um, so you really have to pick your days, but the tower part of that boat is what's really important. Uh, we've tried to do it with non-tower boats, and that doesn't mean you can't catch tuna without a tower. You absolutely can go out there and see tuna jumping and catch them. You don't need to have a tower in your boat. But the tower just makes it so much easier to see, you know, much further away. You see birds, you see all the things that we're going to talk about later. So number one piece of gear, tower boat. doesn't have to be big as long as you pick your days. In fact, some of the larger boats have a hard time fishing the way we fish because they can't pick up and run quickly. If we see fish jumping two miles away, a 60-foot sport fisher is going to have a hard time getting to those fish before they go down. Where for us, it's really easy just to shoot over there um, and get to them. We'll talk about safety gear in a few minutes, but tackle. This is not entry-level fishing. This is not cheap fishing. It's not somewhere you want to cheap out on gear. Um, the rod and reel combos that we use are every bit as expensive or more expensive than you know, trolling a, a 50 wide with a stand-up rod. So I have a list of some, like a basic setup you could get into and then a more advanced setup you could get into. So basic rod and reel setup for topwater tuna. And so this is, when I say topwater, I'm not just talking about throwing poppers. In fact, I don't throw many poppers. Usually we're throwing stick baits, uh, which I have some examples of here. But uh, the good... A good intro rod, Jigging World Black Widow 200. So that's 300 bucks. A Shimano Saragossa 14,000 size spinning reel. That's 400 bucks. 50 pound braid. This is a braid only kind of fishery for us. We, we pretty much have to use braid to get the hookups that we need. 400 yards of 50 pound braid. That's 100 bucks. Um, and then leader, swivel, and then the lure. And the lures that we use are also significantly expensive. So that's the cheap setup. The more expensive setup would be like a Shimano Twin Power or a Shimano Stella. And then Ryan White at Hatteras Jacks has made me some of these Century GT popping rods that are fantastic tuna stick bait rods. Um, so that's the rod and reel. It's not a good idea to go out there and try to take your $100 spinning reel with 30-pound line and try to catch one of these fish. You're gonna, you're just going to break a fish off. Um, the fish is going to end up dying because it's got a big lure in its mouth. And then you just wasted, you melted the drag in your less expensive reel or rod. So, so if you're going to try to do this, you really need to save up some money or go with somebody who does it regularly uh, with some high quality gear. Um, so I like being yeah. impressed by numbers. You gave us a breakdown of the more entry level setup. So that higher end setup that you followed up with, you don't <laughs> have to individualize it, but just to, just to give me an idea, the second rod and reel setup would set me back. What? 2,500 bucks. <laughs> and you got to have six of right them. Now. And you gotta have you better have yeah. six of them, at least on the boat. I mean, eight's better, but we better have six. I yeah. hear you. Well, you really better have two. Um, 
because because you do break off things pretty regularly and it's so frustrating to try to retie especially if you break it the at the line to lead or not um, you, know, you really want to have another one rigged up and ready to go um, so that we've learned a lot of lessons in the last couple of years of, of fishing for tuna this way and we were losing a lot of fish when the tuna go down and do their death spiral you know when you fight the fish and the tuna have a tendency to go down and, and start doing a big circle underneath the boat and I, I used to think that less tackle less terminal tackle in the water was better so I would try tie straight from my 60 pound fluorocarbon leader straight to the front of the lure and when that tuna goes down and just starts spinning it was just binding up as this lure was turning like this it was binding up that lure and then it would just break like three inches above the tip of the lure so we've started using a real high quality ball bearing swivel those ball bearing swivels swivel from both ends and then a heavy duty split ring to the front of the lure and that has almost eliminated those breakoffs. That's not to say things don't get bit off but it's totally eliminated that and, and so since these lures cost $100 a piece or more um, it sucks when you lose them and it sucks when you lose them to something that's as preventable as adding a $4 ball bearing swivel and a 50 cent split ring so take some advice from me losing a ton of these lures that ball bearing split ring is a, the way to go uh, and, and if you have a good set of split ring pliers you can quickly change out lures without having to tie any knots so that's a that's a great way to work your way through all the different lures you have if you're not getting bites and you're still seeing the fish jumping um, just just keep switching lures um, you have questions about that kind of gear yet? I'm going to move into lures if you don't have any questions on that. Uh, no, man. Uh, I guess the only question I would have, I did hear 50-pound braid. Did you tell me what kind of leader, what kind of fluoro? I'm guessing it's fluoro, but what you're tying on to the 50-pound braid? Sure. It's 50-pound braid, and we do an FG knot to 60-pound uh, fluoro. And I usually just make the leader long enough so that when I'm holding my lure down, the leader knot is just outside of the rod tip so i'm not casting that leader knot through the rod tip so three feet maybe two and a half feet no, you don't need a whole lot um yeah yeah so that works i'm ready for lures man i just had that one okay. question I'm, I'm ready to hear yeah. about hundred dollar lures man i'm in i've already spent twenty thousand dollars on rods and reels <laughs> to put up in the up in the t-top so take another twelve hundred bucks out of my pocket there we go so most of the lures that we use are a North Carolina company called Strategic Angler. Um, he makes some fantastic stick baits. I know that lots of your listeners are listening and not watching, but I have some examples here for the people who are watching. Um, so these, he, he makes several different lures. They're available several local tackle shops, uh, TWs, Hatter Jacks. You can also order them online. But they're, um, this is the Naya. 155s, so they are, or these are the Nia 180s. Um, you know, they're they're 10 ounce stick baits. Um, we we like to use a lot of these Nia 130s. They're a little bit smaller. They're five inches. Um, they weigh about two ounces. We're using a a three aught owner, four times strong treble hook on them, 
Um, and, and these lures, you, you can fish them so many different ways. You can cat, they cast a mile. You can cast them out and rip them across the top of the surface, which is what we frequently do. You can let them fall. They kind of flutter when they fall if, they're, if you're falling into a school. Um, we use a bunch of big poppers too, uh, especially if the fish aren't right on the surface. If you're marking fish or you see the birds diving, uh, you can use some gigantic poppers. Plenty of different companies make good poppers. You don't have to spend $200 on a popper. You, know, you, you can get away with $25 poppers. Tsunami makes some great $25 poppers. Um, so, but if the sharks are real bad, like they have been for the last, most of the time I've been charter fishing, seven years, eight years, um, Albie Snacks makes these super snacks lures. And we... We talked before in a podcast about albie snacks and my favorite false albacore lures and mahi lures, but the super snacks work exceptionally well, and we pair those with a 10-aught hoagie um, inline hook. So this is rigged just like a bass, just like a bass lure would be rigged. But if the sharks are bad, you're only losing three bucks instead of eighty or a hundred or one hundred fifty bucks. So we always keep a, a rod rigged with one of these hoagie super snacks. The, the bite might not be quite as immediate, and we do lose a few more fish. I mean, you're fishing, it's essentially a heavy-duty bass hook, so, you know, if, if you don't get them hooked just right, you can pull a fish. But after spending the day losing a bunch of stick baits and you don't have much left, this, this hoagie, it works really well um, if you can keep the fish tight. A, a note on tuna fishing with these, especially with these single hooks, is a lot of times it'll feel like you've dropped the fish, the fish has gotten off, but really he's just swimming straight at the boat, and it's, you just want to keep reeling as fast as you can if that line goes slack, especially with these single hooks, because if this hook sort of wallows a hole out in his mouth, it's just going to drop right out. So, uh, hoagie hooks, um, they're the only, I mean, there, there may be other companies that make a, a real strong inline hook like that, but I haven't seen them yet. Uh, Super Snacks or uh, strategic angler stick baits. And that's, that's pretty much all we take on the boat um, for these trips. Um, I know that you're very familiar with scientific anglers, so I'll, I'll ask one more follow-up question on that before we move off of the terminal tackle. So what is it about scientific angler that makes that stick bait a superior product in your, it's, in your opinion? It, it's strategic angler. Scientific angler makes fly line. Um, Sorry. Strate that's okay. Strategic angler, um, I don't know. It's just the way he paints them. I mean, I, I called him one day and said, look, the, the tunas are eating squids, and he sent me a bunch of these squids. You know, He, he spends a lot of time, uh, he makes the, makes the prototypes and, and casts them himself and then airbrushes them. They're just really lifelike. We, we've fished a lot of other lures, and these, these really have been out fishing all of the other lures. I haven't found one that's exactly this shape. For the people who are watching, you can sort of see this little flashy area in the middle here. That's a counterweight, and it makes it flutter. Uh, he, he's just an incredible artist who happens to make really good fishing lures. Um, so. all right. that's all, that was my one follow-up. Let's go. Let's okay. move on to find the fish. I mean, everyone's yeah. prob probably primary concern. Yeah. Well, the, the first thing we want to talk about safety is 
before we find the fish, we need to decide if we're going to go or not. And an Oregon Inlet is a notoriously dangerous inlet, so you really want to make sure you check for accurate offshore forecasts. You want, especially in a small boat, we don't go unless it's calm the day before, calm the day we're fishing, and then calm the next day. Pretty much, we're looking for two to three foot waves with a at least an eight foot swell period. So that's that's an important thing to keep in mind and then have all the right safety gear you know you want to have it eat your your 40 or 50 miles out to the ocean in a small boat you need to have an eperb um, i have a garmin in reach you know so we can text let people know we're okay we have a life raft first aid kit and i, I learned this you really want to have bolt cutters on the boat a small pair of bolt cutters because when one of these three or four four times strong treble hooks gets stuck in the back of somebody's head or in their hand and you're 40 or 50 miles offshore, you want to be able to cut it off. So we always keep a small pair of bolt cutters in the boat. Uh, I, I put them in a vacuum seal bag so they don't get all rusty. And if we need them, we can just cut it open to be able to do that. We had, had a few uh, accidents. You're casting five ounce lures as far as you can cast them with a couple people on the boat. It's easy to hook somebody else. So keep that in mind before we find the fish. Smart. Uh, I especially, I actually, especially like the vacuum seal tactic, man. I'm, I'm sitting here processing that going, man, is there something on my boat? I need to vacuum seal just on the bay boat to keep it lasting longer. Cause that's only there as an in case product. So, I mean, I, I think, uh, I've already found my Billy's best takeaway, but you know, he, yeah, we, he can't we have that one, but we'll, we'll keep we, going we after the safety. Everything. I, I save the, I save the little, desiccant dryer packets that come in stuff that you order from Amazon and I put extra fuses in a little vacuum seal bag. I put first aid stuff in a vacuum seal bag, uh, pliers, everything. And that way, you know, you need it only once or twice a year. It's not going to be all rusty or less rusty. So, um, find the fish, finding the fish. It's a lot easier now than it used to be with, with modern electronics and with Instagram. Um, so before you make the trip all the way down to Oregon Inlet, follow the Oregon Inlet charter fleet uh, on Instagram and see if they caught a whole bunch of yellowfin the day before, or if they've been catching a bunch of yellowfin recently. Um, you know, if you haven't seen any yellowfin at all being caught, you probably want to go to do something else for a couple days. Um, you know, if the charter fleet's bringing back, like we had this May and June, docks full of yellowfin tuna, that's a great time to try to go do it. Um, Instagram has taken some of the guesswork out of out of when you should go. Um, you can also walk down the docks at the fishing center. A lot of the guys will talk to you and tell you about where they were, you know, south of the point, north of the point. The point is sort of a little deep water canyon sticks out into the, into the continental shelf. Uh, it's about 35 miles from the Oregon Inlet sea buoy. And we sort of use that as a reference, you know, where'd you catch them today? Well, we were north of the point, south of the point, on the point. Um, so that's helpful. The next thing is a satellite shot. You can buy them. You can get them for free in a few places, but we're looking for some temperature differences. Um, not much temperature difference, but we're trying to stay out of some of that 82, 83 degree water, looking more for upper 70 degree green water. Um, satellite shots also, you can get a watercolor analysis also, like from satfish or uh, rip charts something like that. Um, and you can always follow the fleet out. So if, if you're not familiar with our inlet, 
it, it's a good idea to follow the charter fleet out. Get there early and at least follow them to the deeper water. We typically don't topwater tuna fish around the fleet. Uh, the, the boats trolling over top of the tuna really push them down. Um, and we are strictly looking for tuna. I'm not, my depth finder essentially could be off. I'm not using it at all. I'm using the temperature gauge, but I'm not using the fish finder at all. I am driving around looking for fish. And if you're driving around all the charter boats looking for fish, for one thing, you're going to get in the way and probably run over. Um, but the charter boats are pushing those fish lower so that you can't see them. So follow the fleet out to the point or to wherever they are, and then kind of just see what the water temperature is where they're fishing and go somewhere else. Um, there, there's fish all over the place out there. So um, just keep an eye on what the water temperature and what the conditions look like where they're fishing and then just move a mile or two away. You'll, you'll probably see tunas jumping there. Another good way to find them is look for pilot whales. The elephants are frequently around the pilot whales. And most of the year we have a good pilot whale population offshore. So if you see the pilot whales, it's a good place to sort of slow down and look for busting fish. Talk about busting fish. We're not looking for a splash. We're looking for because a splash could be anything. Um, it could be a ray, it could be a shark. We want to see boiling water. We want to see fish jumping out of the air. Now we don't need to see yellowfin tuna jumping out of the air. A lot of times we see skipjack jumping out of the air or blackfin tuna jumping out of the air. Just because it's skipjack. There's probably yellowfin mixed in, either eating the skipjack or eating those, uh, the, the bait that the skipjacks are eating. So we always stop and cast for 30 minutes around when we see skipjack or blackfin, anything small jumping if, if we're in deeper than 300 feet of water. Um, and almost always we'll catch a yellowfin tuna around those skipjacks if you can. And a lot of times if we're fishing with a smaller bait, like a five inch bait like this, and we're just catching skipjacks, Take your split ring pliers out and, and go up a size or two to a bigger bait. Um, and a lot of times the skipjacks will pass on those bigger baits. Not always, but a lot of times the skipjack will pass on the bigger baits and then that'll entice the, the yellowfin. Um, so, so like I said, we're not using the fish finder. We don't use the fish finder. We are just driving. When I say run and gun, I mean we're moving at 20 miles an hour most of the day. Um, just riding around, looking for fish busting from about 500 feet to 3,000 feet of water. Um, so, you see, you head to the point, you start to slow down, and you're running 40 miles an hour offshore. You get to about four or 500 feet of water, you slow down to 20, and you put somebody up in the tower, put somebody on the front of the boat, and you're just looking. Um, anything jumping gets a cast. Okay? Yeah, man. Are you, I had a question prepared, but you answered it right there at the end. I was wondering what your cruise speed is when you're searching. I, I figured it was certainly faster than, say, sight casting for Cobia. Um, I don't know that because, I would have guessed 20 miles per hour, but that makes sense. I mean, you're, you're, it's vast out there, so you're just trying to cover real estate. Yeah, when we're looking for Cobia, we're looking for a shadow in the water or a turtle or a ray or something. Um, usually the tuna, you can see them a mile off. Um, a good pair of gyro stabilized binoculars really helps. Uh, that that makes us a hundred thousand dollar trip instead of a ninety thousand dollar trip. But um, it it really does help to have a good pair of binoculars. But but it's not a hundred percent necessary. If you see birds 
tornadoing, we call it tornadoing, I don't know, not just a bird flying around or a couple of birds hitting the water, but when they're spiraling in the air and hitting the water, spiraling around in the air and hitting the water, going way up and then coming back down, that, that's a good indication of bait being pushed to the surface uh, from those tunas. We don't, if you have radar, I don't have radar on my boat, but if you have radar, you can look for birds. Um, I don't think it's the same as it is in the Northeast where those guys are up there really just searching for birds. Um, half of the fish we find have birds and half of the fish we find don't have birds. Um, so do you so know, I, like, I, I got that you're in a smaller boat and you're picking your days, you know, for wind and waves. Is it your understanding that, and that's the only time you can go out there and do it, but is your understanding that these fish are just as active on the surface on a calmer day that you can go and they might be just as active on a rougher day that you pass with your 24-foot center console? Yeah, yeah, the, the charter guys, the, the big boat guys like a rougher day. It makes your baits skip out of the water a little bit. You know, on a flat, calm day, those guys are having a hard time because their baits are just sort of running flat on the water with the with a little bit of chop, it makes your bait skip out of water, out of the water. It looks more like a flying fish. The problem with sight fishing when there's any white caps is every white cap you see looks like a jumping fish. So you're driving, you know, you're, you're chasing waves essentially. Um, that's sort of why I wanted to talk about backup ideas. Cause if you get out there and it's just solid white caps, it makes it really hard to, to do this kind of fishing. And, and I'm sure every, you know, as with fishing, everything is different, you know, but you look for patterns, you look for routines. So when you're up there and you're cruising at 20 miles per hour, and then you see what you're looking for, not just a splash, but several splashes. So what's the typical time window you have? Like they, when they come up, they usually stay up. I mean, on average, again, any school is going to be different, but is there an average number you have in your head? No, a lot of times we can stay on that school and catch a bunch of fish out of that school um, for for a while. Um, or they'll go down and they'll come up 50 yards behind you. So if somebody on the front of the boat is hooked up, I usually try to have somebody else keep an eye on where the school is. So as soon as we get that fish in the boat, we can we can go over there. It's a good a good thing to mention too. On these really slow days, a lot of the big guys, a lot of the big boats are flying a kite. Uh, a lot of people familiar with kite fishing, it's getting more popular. Well, the reason they're flying a kite is, is to get the baits up on top of the water and out away from the boat so that the guys don't have to run to the charter boats, don't have to run over top of the fish. Because if it's calm, fish are spooky, especially towards later in the season when the you know all their buddies and grandparents have been caught in front of them. Uh, they just don't bite the same. Fishing with top water is even better than fishing with a kite, in my opinion, because we're pulling up to a school of fish and we're stopping before we get to them. And we're throwing, I mean, you can throw these baits so far. Um, you're throwing this bait around the edges of the school, so we're never trolling anywhere near them to push them down. Um, so it's it's more effective than fishing with a kite, I think. We, we have, on the, guy, on the days the guys are just kite fishing, we're having better luck topwater fishing than the guys kite fishing are. Uh, because because we're not on top of those fish. And so the best window of opportunity for this fish, you know, paying attention to Instagram, the Oregon Inlet Fishing Center, most of the action is a spring bite, I'm guessing? It's it's good. The, the best day I had this year with 23 yellowfin was in August. Um, this year's been a little, a little different. The problem early in the spring is the weather windows are not great. 
Uh, you know, it's frequently rough and windy, so we get fewer fishable days, although the tuna fishing is very good. Um, we've caught yellowfin every month of the year now. Um, December was fantastic for us last year. October through December last year were insanely good. Um, lots of double-digit fish days. And I want to say, I'd rather catch two yellowfin on topwater than 20 yellowfin trolling 50 wides. It's, it's just so much more exciting. You're seeing them eat the lure. You're doing all, the, the angler is doing most of the work. Um, it, it's just such a more exciting way to catch them. No, man, I'm, I mean, I'm 100% bought in. I'm, I'm hot for this topic. I've been looking forward to this podcast since we, you know, we sort of set it up earlier in the year. Man, the, um, the only thing with, with the spring and then later into the fall and the hurricane season is just the weather. So if you, any days that you have good weather windows, especially this time of year, October, November, December, if you have a good weather window and you can go, um, it's, it is incredibly good. And there's less pressure on the fish. Um, you know, you don't have so many people out there. Once it gets into bluefin season, January, February, we don't go very much. It's too rough for my little boat, and I don't really want to hook an 800-pound bluefin on a spinning rod. So, um, yeah. Well, uh, as, as the host, I guess I'll say, any other thoughts on finding fish, or, or are we going to go through the scenario of, is it time to go through the scenario of, all right, John, the guy in the tower yeah. spotted it. We're coming up to some active fish. What can I expect to see do on your boat? Perfect. So I'll, usually I'm the only one in the tower, as opposed to when we're Cobia fishing and we have an angler in the tower with me. Um, usually it's just me in the tower and we'll have two people on the front of the boat with rods. And generally I will start screaming like a crazy person when I see the fish jumping and people will kind of slowly get up and grab a fishing rod and then I'll start screaming at them because when I say there's fish hold on we're gonna put the throttle down and run 40 miles an hour so everybody should be holding on and everybody should be grabbing a rod or the two anglers should be grabbing a rod making their way to the front of the boat adjusting their line so they're ready to cast open the bale put your finger on the line and be ready to cast. So as soon as I pull back on that throttle and I tell you to cast, you can cast. Um, people who haven't fished with me before, I have to apologize ahead of time because I get so excited sometimes. But if, if you're not on the bow and you don't have the bale open and ready to cast, either the boat's gonna drift over top of the fish, we're not gonna be in the ideal position um, or the fish are going to go down and we're not going to get a cast because you're fumbling around getting ready to go. Uh, most people are right-handed. Most people cast with the rod over their right shoulder. So we'll have one person cast on the right side, on the starboard side of the boat. That person will cast, close the bale, reel the slack out of their line, and move to the left side of the bow. And then the next person can take their place, cast, and that way everybody's casting the way they're comfortable casting the furthest distance. Every cast that you make on these fish should be the furthest cast you can make because you want to have the bale closed, all the slack out of the line, and the lure moving properly through the water by the time you get to the fish. One of the biggest mistakes we see is people will cast right into the middle of the fish 
By the time you close the bale and reel the slack out of the line, your lure's not anywhere near the strike zone, and now you got to start reeling. And so now, by the time you have all the action in the lure, the lure's already back in the boat. So every single cast, you want to cast over the school of fish or next to the school of fish. A lot of times I'll say they're moving right to left. So cast a little bit left and in front of them so that by the time the lure is properly moving through the water, it's in front of the fish. Don't cast into the fish. Cast past the fish. Every single cast should be as far as you can cast. I can't stress that enough. Um, so as far as getting in the right spot, you like to keep the boat no closer than how far from an active school? It depends on how far my anglers can cast. The further they can cast, the further I'll keep the boat from the school. Um, we, I try to evaluate that pretty quickly, make that mistake once. Um, it, it, it's not really beginner fishing. You, know, you have to be able to make long and accurate casts to be good at this. And if, if you book a charter with somebody and the, the captain asks you, tell me a little bit about your fishing experience, and you tell me I'm a great caster, I can cast all the time, fish every day, and you get out there and you hold the rod upside down and reel backwards so the handle falls off, and you've booked this very expensive all-day fishing trip, you're, you're just not going to have fun. Um, I mean, I guess I can cast for you and hook them and hand them to you, but if you can't make long, accurate casts, you, you're, this is not the fishing trip for you. Um, okay. You just need to go pra practice, do something else. So the further I can keep the boat from the school, the more successful we're going to be. That's the answer. And I guess you like the fish moving like from the bow, either left to right or right to left, just so you can angle the cast over the fish without going exactly over the fish and then bring it in. So as the boat driver, that's your optimum pull up to the fish. That's right. And I usually try to get the wind behind me. If I can, if I, if it works out, we'll try to get the wind behind us. Um, just makes you be able to cast a lot further. Uh, you don't have such so much scope in your line from your line blowing off the reel. Um, so I'll try to get the wind behind me and then try to get two anglers on the, on the front of the boat. It, you really don't want to hook more than two of these at once. I mean, we're talking about 50 to 80 pound fish that, that fight like crazy. Um, it's hard to manage being hooked up to more than two of these fish at a time. So we let two anglers cast for a little while and, and then catch one and then switch off. After you reel one of these in, you want to take a break for a few minutes anyway. Um, so you've cast your line out, you're reeling, you've got great presentation. A fish blows up, you see this huge splash and you haul back as soon as you see that splash like you're catching bass and you pull the lure right out of the fish's mouth. A lot of times, so these are these lures have a single hook in the back and a lot of times that fish is hitting right here in the middle of the lure and you go to rip it out and it's just going to come right out of your mouth like that. So I tell people, you just reel. You're, you're reeling very fast, super fast. Just keep reeling. When you see that fish hit, you don't need to haul back and set the hook. You're reeling so fast that you're going to set the hook. You know, the hook's going to catch in that fish's mouth. Once you feel the weight of the fish on the lure, on the rod, then you can give it a couple good yanks to really set these hooks. They're big, heavy hooks. And a lot of times we use, we use single hooks like this too, you know, big, heavy inline single hooks, but I, I prefer, it's not, it's not like this is catch and release fishing. So, um, I prefer these big, big trebles. So, so a big error is somebody trying to set the hook. You just, you just don't need to set the hook on these fish because of the way you're reeling in. Um, so now we fought the fish. 
frequently we can get these fish to the boat faster than we can trolling a 50 wide. Uh, people don't believe it until they see it. Um, but some, some of the lures that we're using have two sets of big treble hooks like this is a strategic angler Espada. Um, and, and we sort of think it with the two sets of trebles, you kind of lock in the fish's jaw shut and they, they run out of oxygen fairly quickly. Um, and, and so we can really get these fish to the boat. It's, it's not, a, not a terribly long fight most of the time. And because we're in a small outboard boat, we can chase the fish down a little bit also. Um, so if we hook up with one, I usually tell the other angler to reel in and we'll try to use the boat to our advantage also. You don't burn the meat up. You know, you don't have that lactic acid buildup in the fish. Uh, meat tastes a little better when you get it in quickly. So then we've got the fish next to the boat. We see color. I'll put the boat in a straight line or in a gentle turn to keep the fish on the inside of the boat and just barely keep the boat in gear. It's a lot easier to gaff these fish while the boat's moving. Um, the fish sort of surfs up to the surface a little better. I'll have the angler step in front of me towards the front of the boat. I'll get behind him with the gaff, or if the, you know, his buddy wants to gaff him, that's fine too. And we'll gaff it, put it in the box, and try to get another one. What's the target area on the tuna for the gaff? Um, just around the head, gill plate. Try to not to gaff him right in the loin. You know, don't aim for the fattest part of the tuna. I sort of tell people, you just drag the gaff across. It's not a crazy frantic motion. You just drag the gaff across the top of the fish's head, and it's gonna get there right in his eye or gill plate or something like that and we'll lift him in if it's a real big one we'll have to put a second gaff in him towards the tail or, or have somebody grab the tail and we try to put him right in the fish box um they make a giant mess they bleed everywhere they flop around there'll be tuna guts from your tower all the way down underneath your common pads when you're done but um pretty exciting Man, so a, qu a question i had before we got to fighting the fish so is, is that the standard instruction? Like when I flip, I cast as far as I can, I flip the bale is to basically retrieve it as fast as I can reel or almost as fast as I can reel or. Yeah. And... yeah almost as, almost as fast as you can reel for, for the stick, for these particular stick baits. Um, if you're not getting bites that way, then you change the retrieve up. If you cast two or three times like that, you don't get a bite, then reel as fast as you can and pause or reel as fast as you can pause and then sweep the rod tip back and just sort of keep varying it to see what they like. Same thing with the poppers. If you throw a popper out there, throw the popper out, pop, and let it sit. Most of the time with a popper, you'll get a bite as the lure is just sitting there after the pop. So pop, let it sit, reel the slack out. Pop, let it sit, reel the slack out. But for these stick baits, we're really just cranking them. Um, we're, I think it looks like a flying fish trying to escape or something. We like them to be skipping across the top of the water. You, um, I got one other question about a question about fighting the fish. I've, I've heard different people sort of espouse different techniques. So on your boat, if I'm hooked up, you know, a nice fish, big fish, am I doing like big pump and reel down or am I doing a, a series of quick and smaller pump reel down? What, how do you typically advise? We try to do big pumps, reel down. Big pump, reel down. And then once that tuna starts doing his death spiral underneath the boat and you're essentially dead weight lifting him up, that's when we switch to those shorter, does that make sense? Shorter pumps yeah. just to try to get him up. Um, but when he's on the surface and he's running, I mean, they're, they're peeling drag off. These big reels, these big spinning reels now put out 40 or 50 pounds of drag. You can't hold on to 40 or 50 pounds of drag. So 
and we tighten it as as tight as we can, as tight as you can handle, um, and just start cranking. And that oh, drag is tight. That drag yeah. as tight as I can handle. Is that after the hook, or is that as I'm casting out, including the strike? After the hook, I usually have them set so I can pull drag with my hands, but but barely. You know, if I if I wrap take one wrap on it and I can pull line off of that lure, um, off of that reel, then that's about as tight as I want it. And then you can adjust it as you're fighting. Okay. Um, so the sharks, I said the sharks have been a problem. We've been experimenting with, uh, you know, when we bone fish, when I went bone fishing in the Bahamas and the sharks were real bad, the guide told me to open the bale. You know, if the shark is just about to eat your bone fish, open the bale and let the fish swim away a little bit and then close it. So we've been experimenting with that. We've had some good luck uh, opening the bale and just letting the fish swim for a couple minutes to get away from those sharks. You'll know if a shark is on them. You know, you'll be fighting the fish, making a little progress. He takes a little drag, fighting the fish, make a little progress. And all of a sudden he burns off 300 yards of line in six seconds because there's a shark after him. Um, so you can either just tighten the drag all the way down and try to horse him in or open the bale for a second and see if he can get away works sometimes okay. no I, f I follow that logic completely i and i think up and down the coast sharks and tuna fishing have become a you know a factor on a daily basis i mean it's too bad well, and we i think those sharks have learned I, I don't know if this is true i think those sharks have learned the sound of the diesel boats um you, you can see if you're fishing right there on the point and everybody is fishing on the point the sharks just follow the boats that are trolling and wait for them to hook up, wait for the fish to get tired and then eat it. Um, this way of fishing, we don't have nearly, that's not to say we don't lose fish to sharks, but we're not losing nearly as many fish to sharks as, uh, as the guys that are trolling. Well, man, we are, we are coming to the close to the end of our time, not completely end, but I, I like your intuition to say, Hey, even the best laid plans, the tuna might not cooperate. Even if we, have a hundred thousand dollars on board so i like the plan b so we have done all this and we are out there and we are just not seeing tuna finding tuna what then yep so we usually give it we we don't leave super super early on these trips we don't leave at 4 30 like some of the offshore guys do we'll usually leave at six so we'll get to the fishing grounds at about 7 30. we'll give it to afternoon 12 30 maybe and uh, if we just haven't seen fish jumping the way that we had hoped to. I'll start to head into a little bit shallower water. Um, you can usually, most of the year, find a grass line, cast some mahi, um, you know, so we don't have trolling gear on the boat, or maybe we have one wahoo trolling rod. I've taken the outriggers off because they kind of get in the way. So we can cast all of these lures, same lures, the mahi will eat, especially if you scale down to, uh, like this is the Naya 100, that's a perfect size. Um, mahi bait or the regular fish snacks, albi snacks instead of the super snacks is a great mahi bait. So a weed line with mahi is always worth putting in 30 minutes to. And if you still can't find a fish, you can go catch, depending on what time of year, you can go catch tilefish and sea bass. Um, some, I don't know if y'all have done a tilefish podcast or not, but it's, it's a uh, tilefish is a, as sure thing as you can get. To, to bottom fishing. We, we have not, I better knock on wood. 
we have not had a day where we couldn't catch tilefish when we tried. Um, you know, you can only keep three per person, and usually you drop one three-hook rig down, and you catch three tilefish, and it's time to go something else. But at least you got something in the boat for your whole day of effort. Well, man, I think now my final question for you. I mean, this is great. I mean, I'm excited. I, I've really, oh, truly go. wanted to talk about this since we put the yeah, idea down. Go. I mean, again, even not just popping, but the concept of topwater tuna is even more exciting. So we're at the end of your podcast. This is where I typically give the captain, you know, any last thought, you know, about this fishery, this fishing, you know, anything that you kind of thought maybe you should talk about and we just didn't touch on it, but it's in the back of your mind. This is us wrapping up your podcast, John. Any last thoughts? I don't want the cost or the boat requirements to scare people away from doing it. When when I say it's not cheap fishing, even if you just go out there, whatever the you know the heaviest tackle you can afford to get for this trip is, go out there and look so you can start to get an idea of the life that's out there. I mean, it's like driving through SeaWorld. Dolphins will be jumping right next to the boat. There'll be turtles. There'll be whales. Um, pick a calm day. Put the heaviest tackle you have on your boat. Buy a couple of t poppers. E even if you lose them, go out there and at least try. And I tell you, if you hook one and lose it, you're gonna you're gonna want to go back and spend a little more money and, and buy something heavier. Um, yeah, you just don't don't let it scare you too much. Or or book a trip with somebody who does it. I know that there are guys who do it all up and down the Carolinas. Um, you know, find somebody who, who likes to do that kind of fishing and get them to go out there and show you the ropes. But it's it's my favorite way. It's all I want to do now. I mean, between false albacore fishing and topwater tuna fishing, I really don't want to do anything else. Well, I tell you what, I want to do this trip with you for two reasons. One, I want to catch a yellowfin tuna on the topwater. And two, I want to break off a $100 stick bait so I can come back and say, yeah, man, I broke off a $100 stick bait. And I just turned around and said, I need another rod. I need another bait. I didn't even blink. I didn't, it didn't even affect me that I broke off a hundred dollars stick bait. I was already looking for the next hundred dollars stick bait to throw. That's, those are the two things I want to accomplish. If I get out on the water. It wasn't your hundred dollars stick bait. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, and I want to fish on your boat with the higher end gear, not the entry oh, yeah. level gear. I mean, I want the experience. You go tell Ryan, you need six new tuna popping rods. <laughs> All right. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till he has a couple of bourbons in him, and then we're going to negotiate. Yeah. Well, John, thank you so much. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to talk tuna. Topwater tuna with us out of Oregon Inlet. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I can't imagine there aren't going to be people that watch this podcast and call you and say, I'm hot for it. Let's make it happen. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. I enjoyed it. Bye, John. And oh man, Gary. <laughs> right? <laughs> Ew. Oh, dude. So, okay, that sounds like a lot of fun. But then he lost me at like, you got to be able to cast really good. I'm like, God, I got to practice, dude. I got to get out there and find big enough tackle and just throw it around the yard or something. Like, because uh, I, no, I man, you got to go to a casting. football field and throw it, not in your small yard. You need to go yeah. to a football field or a park and start throwing. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah, something, man. I, I mean, anyone's yard. Yeah. I'm not knocking your yard. I don't even know Whatever, what your dude. yard looks like. Yeah, well, but I'm going to guess you're going to need to cast further than your front or backyard right. even put together. We all can't live on the water like some people, Gary. Okay? Some people just have <laughs> modest lifestyles. Like, it's okay. <laughs> but, I'm not but, biting on that. <laughs> man, so what's the Billy's best takeaway? It can't be, oh, my God, I can't cast far enough. What uh, is your best my, takeaway? My best takeaway is I need, like, all you see these two sponsors in the bottom. I need like this whole screen just like filled up with sponsor logos so I can afford to go do this type of fishing. Um, 100k easy plus to get the boat and all the gear. Uh, so go to Marine Warehouse and buy your tower. Not boat the boat, the boat, it wasn't part of that 100k number. Oh, so yeah. once 200K, you have the boat, 200k, get your 200k and go. Just book John for a trip. That's my best takeaway. Right. Uh, yeah, right. Seriously. I mean, I'm with you. When you said break off the $100 stick bait, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that because I feel bad for the guy, but I'd rather his $100 than mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just get like eight buddies and be like, hey, you guys, let's take turns. <laughs> you know, it was during this podcast, I was thinking just like, just like the fish photo of the week, just like the where is Emmett, just like the Billy's best takeaway, I think a new feature of the podcast should be all right, Captain, let's pull out your calendar and put a date in the books. Like, that's yeah. the tradition here on the show. We don't just talk about it. We follow up with on-the-water training. If you wouldn't mind, John, if you just pull out your calendar. and I mean, I think you said November or December. <laughs> I think uh, holidays are great for me. Holidays are perfect. Yeah, then we can have another one instead of Billy's best takeaway. is like Billy's best excuse, and I'll try to figure out a reason why I can't make that trip because <laughs> I tend to do that often. Too often. Um, but one thing I, I will mention is like when he finds the fish or like, you know, whoever's in the tower finds the fish for you, puts you on them, cast is the furthest he can is, is what I really took away. Like to cast over that and bring it back. Um, so, yeah, that's what also got me disqualified for this trip was the casting capabilities. No so, way, man. You're better than you think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go home and practice. Uh, I'm going to call Ryan, see if he'll let me borrow a couple of those rods so I can practice. <laughs> Again, oh, after a couple of bourbons, increases your chance. So, Ryan, you want to be on the podcast again? Uh, just send me a couple <laughs> of those rods, would you? I'll just try them out. I'll send them back. Promise. <laughs> anyway, man. Well, dude, that was a great episode. And uh, be sure to support our sponsors where you can, Marine Warehouse Center and SRD20. So go visit both of their websites and check them out. And buy that tower boat from Marine Warehouse and call Gary and I, and we'll help you break it in, especially chasing tuna on topwater. That would be fun. Yes, coincidentally enough, <laughs> Marine Warehouse Center sells as a broker for those pair customs, the boat that John runs. So we're not uh -huh. just saying we're not just sending Marine Warehouse for a tower boat, which you can. But I mean, if you are if you think this guy has it dialed in, I want a pair custom, which you should because they're beautiful boats and there's a reason he has them. Marine Warehouse Center will get you in a pair custom. Yeah, it, and buy us one, too. One for Fisherman's Post podcasts, one for yourself. <laughs> if you're yeah. rolling deep, you got to just go roll real deep. <laughs> hey, man, I'm all in. All right, man, we'll see you in the next episode, Gary. Appreciate it. Fisherman.